Listen to Freaky Trigger and the Lollas of Pop back for a third series. Serious about the silly, silly, silly about the serious. The internet's only sane collective. Drop science so you can pick it up again. So welcome back. It's the 7th of March. We've been away for a year, but it's been a long year. Um, in the studio with me, I've got three great guests. I'm going to start with Tom Ewing, the founder of Freaky Trigger. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, in the middle, we've got Magnus Anderson. Hello. And uh, finally, last but absolutely not least, Alex Campbell. Hello. So today we're talking about history, and um, I believe history is bunk, Tom. Who said that? Uh, I don't know, and I don't care, because that would be history. It's, we, we, yep. Have you got a question? <laughs> well, no. no. <laughs> Sorry. The there question is the, the question, so, I mean, you're, you're a historian. Uh, or you were, a you were a historian. Former um, historian. Why, is, why, is history, why should history be important to us? It's, I, I think it's just interesting. It's full, of, full of good yarns. Can we, can we learn from history? Well, you can learn about history from history, <laughs> but can we, do we learn? Do we actually learn anything from history? You think? Yeah, because I think I think history repeats, as the propeller heads told us. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Magnus, um, you you weren't a historian, no, not since school. But um, has history imp- impacted on your life recently? Uh, well, we're all making history. Everyone at every time is making history, where whatever they're doing. So I think my recent history has affected me, so I'm sure everybody's recent history has affected But not, not everyone's making kind of interesting history. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that is true. And Alex, um, you're, you're a linguist. Sort of. And, um, but the history of language, of course, is very important. Indeed it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how does, it, how, how does the history of language, how does the development of language really affect the way that we see the world? <laughs> I know this is. I know this, I know that's a big question. It is a big question. It, I can't answer it at this point. Okay. Well, all right. Well, we'll, a, we'll probably come back. Question. We'll probably come back to that um, a little bit later. Um, in the years since we've been off, um, there have been some great developments in the world. There's been um, some Olympics, um, which I hate. Um, there have been. Um, we've hit the tenth anniversary of Freak Trigger. Yes. Um, we haven't actually yet. Uh, when, when, when's it's, the exact date? Um, March twenty fifth. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, um, Freaky Trigger is the website which uh, this show comes from. Um, it's www, just to annoy Alan, freakytrigger.co.uk. Um, it's a site about um, popular culture. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, it's a site about all sorts of things. And it's uh, ten years. It's just got a spanky new design. Yep. Um, still pink. Yes, well, <laughs> we're working on that to make it safe at work. And uh, I, I just only this morning put up some fascinating material about rating scales. 
Meaning, <laughs> uh, meaning whether you should rate things on a one to five or a one to ten scale. Ah, so th- this this comes from a, a discussion regarding um, whether music critics rate things higher than film critics. Yeah, but the, the, this was from a. It was it was in the Financial Times actually. There was an article yesterday which is basically saying that some some psychologists have done some research and they're saying that um, humans can only get sort of five points of differentiation. So you can only have, you can only hold in your mind mm. sort of you know five things as being higher or lower or, or whatever, which is why Play Your Cards right, there were... Oh, right, yeah, that's cards. only five cards. Yeah. Um, and and it's why the five-star five or five-point scale mm. is, uh, is is such a common one. I've no idea whether this... The, the Financial Times didn't bother giving its sources on this. It just right. kind of said, oh, here we are. Sources, sources, <laughs> sources <laughs> how, are old How school. can anyone have... have, have with, if our brains are so limited, how can anyone have, have, have thought we could predict the markets or do anything like that? Um... <laughs> I mean, rating, rating scales are very, very strange because, let's say, a lot of um, um, computer game magazines, for instance, use, usually use percentages. Percentages are out of ten, and with, in both those cases, there seems to be this idea that if you've got a mediocre run-of-the-mill game, then it's seven out of ten. <laughs> yeah. And that says to me that it's a bit better than average. And, in fact, I really go with this idea that you should have five points of differentiation. If it was, if it was my world, then I would insist everyone had naught as being your average score plus one and minus one being a little bit better and a little bit worse, mm. and then plus two but, being but that's phenomenal. It's, that's mere semantics, Magnus, because <laughs> all, all, your, all your computer game reviewers are doing is everything gets six, seven, eight, nine, or ten, so it is a five-point scale. Absolutely, but it's, it's a very misleading five-point scale, albeit one that flatters their advertisers. I mean... <laughs> so quite a useful five-point scale. <laughs> Indeed, and this, this is the case. I mean, when, 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 when your magazine is basically for computer games and is for selling computer games, <laughs> you know, if you can't get the advertisers in... I mean, the word average, Alex... Um, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you its derivation, but I mean, it doesn't. I, I, it's not used in the way that it, in what it actually means because the idea of the average being being the median or the mode or whatever. Actually, when we say something's average, we're actually saying it's a bit rubbish. Mm. Don't be mean. <laughs> well, no, I mean it, it's, it's it's true. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I only just got that, so I'm, I'm, I'm not in the right mode at the moment. Um, the uh, sorry, uh, uh, yeah, but you know, you know what I mean, Alex. I do. I've, I haven't memorised all of the words yet, so okay. You know, I can't give you a back. No, I, 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 I wasn't asking for that. I was, I was just saying, you know, but it's, it's use of word rather than. I mean, the, it has a average has a mathematical meaning or number of mathematical meanings, mm-hmm. um, but but. It doesn't actually... It's necess- got a set of meanings. Yes, well, yeah. But it hasn't, doesn't actually necessarily mean that in the way we use it in, in language. No, that's right. I think when, when somebody says something is average, then I think it really does mean that you can take it from context. And on the whole, I think I'd probably be a bit offended if, they, if somebody said I was average at something. Yeah. Even though it was probably completely true, because I, I've got this sort of myth about myself, which is that even if I'm not particularly good at something, then mm. I've got characteristics which are sort of more interesting than to say that I'm average at whatever it is that we're, that we're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, anyway, I'm going to jump to our first song now, because um, we should be talking about history. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, I've asked all of you to bring in songs which come back from pre-1950, if possible. Some of them were just post-1950. But I think yours is the oldest, Tom. Uh, okay. All the song is, anyway. So, anyway, let's um, start the, with this. The recording is, I think, as well. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. 
So, Alex, what was that? Uh, that was uh, Monsieur Clarinet and his clarinet posse with It's a Long Way to Tipperary. Um, that was actually Tom's song. Um, can you tell us about that song? Or, actually, do you know anything about that song, Alex? Uh, yes, it's called It's a Long Way to Tipperary. <laughs> Beyond that. Uh, we were just listening to it. Yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> Magnus, Magnus can, you, can you throw anything in on this? Uh, well, I mean, I think Alice has covered most of the ground. Uh, it's, it's a song which I've sort of always been aware of. I can't think of the first time I heard it, but I've always known that there's been this song, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the generic song you sing when you're going somewhere. Could be. Tipperary, especially. Yes, <laughs> I, I would have thought. Well, um, just, depending the, on how far you are from Tipperary. Yeah, yeah. it's not actually that long away. In today's globalised world, <laughs> it's, it's not that far to Tipperary, no. which is in Ireland. I was, I was always a bit... Because I, I first came across a song in the Puffin Joke Book. Oh, right. Uh, which, where it was the punchline to a very, very lengthy shaggy dog story about an animal called a rare And it involved going up a mountain and tipping. Ah, the same yeah, rare Anyway, so, yeah. Anyway, and um, so I kind of assumed it was in Nepal or something but no it's in ireland because it's it a bit it's it is a bit like timbuktu isn't it Tipperary? sounds a bit like I, in my mind it was yeah yeah okay. yeah Good. sorry it's all foreign yeah <laughs> um it was written in in 1912 and was one of the big musical hits at the time and then it became uh, an anthem which soldiers used to sing when they went off to war in the summer of 1914 and they would sing this jaunty tune uh, as they went off to beat the bosch mm. um <laughs> as we knew our european brothers then yes um and it, so it took on poignancy when, obviously, um, it did turn out to be quite a long way back home <laughs> from the war, unless yes. you died quite soon. Though, of course, the majority <laughs> of people weren't coming from Ireland or, indeed, um, Tipperary. No, um, no, no, yeah, the majority of combatants weren't coming from... But quite a lot of, of, of combatants would have... Actually, not that many, because they were neutral, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, no, they, well, they were part of, part, of, part of Britain. Part of Britain. No, no, they weren't neutral. Anyway, so here's what I know about yeah. history. <laughs> Because you're, that's not your period, Tom. It's not, no. No, your period... That's the excuse that all historians, it's not my period. Yeah. Um, your period today would be um, the medieval European period. Yes, I, I, never, I never studied that, and uh, suddenly the medieval bug bit me. So are you still going to argue this is not my period, if you don't know anything? Uh, yes, because I don't know much. We've got to bear in mind, this is, this is Tom, whose period was indeed Alexander the Great, who got a question about Alexander the Great wrong in a pub quiz once. Yes. Was there much writing on it? Yeah, there was £100 riding on it. However, his excuse was, <laughs> I, I think, a sound one, which was basically, um, the question was, where did Alexander the Great die? And you studied... I studied Alexander the Great's life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some what? say death is an important part of life, but it is a, a, it is a discreet part that, of it. That morbid attitude cut no ice with me. So, the, the, medieval, <laughs> the medieval period, you, Tom, you're, uh, you're interested in that at the moment. Yes. And it, was a, it was an era of great spectacle. Mm. Um, uh, for instance, I was... Um, reading the book the book that I've been reading about at the moment which is called The Waning of the Middle Ages right. uh, by uh, a Dutch historian called Heusinger and was written actually just after the First World War okay um, so it's quite old but it's history itself it is yes it is itself history and it shows the attitudes of its era mm. But it, uh, one passage leapt out at me um, because it turned out to be about a giant pie. Ah, and which, as we know, we, yeah, we love pies on Freaky Trigger. <laughs> regular <laughs> listeners to Lollards will be aware that giant pies are dear to our heart. And this was a particularly giant pie uh, because it contained an entire orchestra. <laughs> That's got to be a big pie. It was a bit, not, not a, a model orchestra or anything like that. A living orchestra. An actual orchestra. That's it. I mean, Magnus, you, you're, you're a musician, or you have been a musician in the past. I have been a musician. Um, the modern orchestra has how many members? Uh, about? Well, sort of, it depends how, how big it is, but it's sort of around 40, 50, something like that. But I would assume that in the oh, medieval, yeah, fewer. The medieval they, period, they haven't invented more. some of the instruments. Yeah. Oh, right. So it would have been a lute player or two. There's barely any but, brass instruments back then, for instance. No, there wouldn't. Have, yeah, there might have been a monkey, though, as well. So it might have been about four people and a monkey. <laughs> 
You know, that's still quite a lot to get in a pie, though, Peter. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. Be, you, you, you are right. So, so you did the right. pie make a noise? Uh, yeah, well, um, <laughs> and, well, it would have to clue them in. That there are these four people and a monkey. Don't, don't eat this pie. Or <laughs> the sources, the sources don't state. The, 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 I did some research into this, um, and I looked at two. Um, items in Google search okay. so not just Wikipedia oh yes oh, by the way yeah. um, in the new series of Freaky Trigger and Lola's a Pop um, we have banned uh, all our, all our well, it's, it's certainly this week from using <laughs> Wikipedia to do any research because yes. it's not trustworthy and also it makes it too easy yes so less less facts even than usual yes <laughs> in the in the Lola's um, the and, and it was it was given that the, 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 this pie was presented um, it was actually presented between courses it wasn't a course in itself what <laughs> It was one of the entremets. Good God, what known. did they have? Like an army in a boulemange or something? How, <laughs> this, is, this is the pie, pie with an orchestra in it. Yeah, the pie with yeah, the orchestra. I'm assuming not eating much of it. They might be eating the crust. They had to but... eat their way out, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, I, sadly, that, that's not a fact. That's speculation from a professional historian that they ate their way out of okay. the, the giant pie. <laughs> These... did, they, did they have some kind of gravy in there? <laughs> well, and they had to get out before they drowned. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> yes, but perhaps not true. <laughs> no, it wasn't true. Anyway, it was, it was, it was given at... Who, who can tell? Mm. It was given at a, a, a banquet called the Feast of the Pheasant. OK. Um, which was uh, the culmination of a series of enormous banquets given by a, a guy called Philip the Bold, who was uh, the Duke of Burgundy. Right. And this was the largest one as, and, and, and had, like, loads of courses and in between the courses... Things like a giant pie, um, <laughs> yeah. an entire an entire ship was brought in on in a pie? rollers. No, not in okay. a pie. No, I, I'm, I'm, the, the the phrasing in this book uh, indicated that perhaps that was in a pie as well, but um, my research has indicated that sadly that was not in a pie. Uh. And nor were the dwarf, the giant, the gigantic Turk, and the elephant. Ah, uh, elephant pie. Mm. The elephant mm. might have ended up in a pie after. Really, the the feast. But anyway, the feast of the pheasant. The idea was that um, that Philip the Bold. He was going to use it, and at the culmination, he would announce a new crusade. Okay, hooray, which, we're going to yeah, war again! <laughs> which he did do. Um, mm. And then all the knights had to come up and say what they would do mm. um, until Jerusalem was retaken. Right. So they said, like, right, I will not shave until Jerusalem is retaken, or I shall wear nothing on my right arm mm. until Jerusalem is retaken. I will not eat orchestra pie until Jerusalem yeah. is retaken. Some, some, someone said, um, I will not drink wine until Jerusalem is retaken, <laughs> and Philip the Bolt overruled him. Said, <laughs> no way, mate. Look, 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 <laughs> it's it's going to be tough. Just keep it real. It is going to be tough, the Jerusalem thing. Yeah, which is just as well, because the crusade then just didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> they basically all woke up the next day and thought, oh, God, what did I say I'd do last night? <laughs> oh, no, we take Jerusalem. <laughs> so is it, is it, is it, would, would, this, would this giant pie and this giant feast, would this be kind of like a morale-boosting thing, um, promising things that they wouldn't actually get, much like most governments do now, yes. but without the orchestra pie? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah tip for Gordon Brown. Yeah. It was, <laughs> no, it was, it, I, I think it was a propaganda thing as much as anything, because the, the King of France, who was the, who was the kind of great rival, mm. um, obviously wasn't, you know, he, he would have been throwing his own parties, but he didn't have an orchestra pie. And um, so it would have been a kind of, like, Basically, a bit of bling. Yeah, it was, yeah. You, it was. I liked. I liked the King of France's thing, but that's no orchestra pie. No, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's no good. Um, Alex, um, orchestra pie. Um, you're our. You're our resident. Um, you don't live here, but resident. Um, how would how would we say it? Recipe historian. I sort of am. I suppose I've amassed a collection of vintage recipe books in my time. Although not very vintage, uh, nothing much older than twentieth century. But uh, is there orchestra pie in any of them? There's no orchestra pie. There are other pies. Really? 
Yeah. Such as? Uh, something called Devises Pie, which has, let me just consult my little book, um, a calf's head in it with uh, brains, pickled tongue, sweetbread, lamb, veal, bacon, eggs, and um, jelly. Mm. When we say jelly, jelly, we mean kind of a savoury gelatine rather than... Yeah. Strawberry jelly. As opposed to ice cream and jelly in a pie I mean, with brains. Do Tom's pies sound appealing to you? Um, I Personally, I don't like orchestras. No. <laughs> <laughs> which, they um, catch in the throat a bit, so I don't tend to eat them. Mag- Magnus, which, which bit would you eat first in an orchestra pie? Uh, I'd probably eat the, uh, the flautist. Yeah, I, 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 I would think flautist as well. You'd think tender, mm. usually. Well, maybe viola players, though, as well. Yeah. Well, what, what I wonder about these recipes is, in fact, they're all written in the retrospect, as in what they did is they made a pie with whatever they happened to have to hand. So if they had veal and jelly or an orchestra, then they'd make the relevant pie. Yeah. And afterwards say, yeah, I had this great idea for a pie. I thought I'd get an orchestra and put it in a pie. I mean, how, how reliable are these sources, Tom? Oh... Very. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think that actually, you know, rather than because obviously, if they if they try to go the King of France, then yes, it would be yes, they, yeah, they could, <laughs> they could, could just, just make, to old, tell everyone any old rubbish. Well, yeah, I mean, and also, obviously, in medieval sources, you do get quite a lot of like they're they're very bad on um, uh, numbers of people in their armies. Yeah, so you'll sort of get oh, we had a million people in our army. <laughs> yeah, um, and. Well, back with thermoply. Yeah. I mean, going back, going back to yeah, yeah, ancient Greece. The, the, the medievals were even worse than the Greeks because I think a lot of the time they just didn't even know what the numbers meant, yeah. and it was just sort of yeah, two million, yeah, and then then we fought another two hundred thousand giants on the back of. <laughs> but it goes, but it goes back to your rating schemes, really. I mean, people, yes, people only only have five discrete things there. I think yeah. I think the the maximum number you can you can pick out by sight is up to seven. So if there are seven things on a table, you so, can go. Bang. Exactly. So if, if you're a medieval chronicler and there's a, a battle and there's two armies, both of which have more than seven people in, <laughs> yeah. that you, was a you million might as well, yeah, it might as well be million. a million versus a hundred million. And, and it turned out to be the million who won because they were really brave. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that, that, that makes absolute sense to me. Um, anything else about the medieval period that struck you recently? Yes. I, well, <laughs> this was, I think, meant to be the start of my medieval section, but we get, we'll, we'll, we'll touch to it. We'll always, well, we'll always, okay. we'll always get this, this, uh, sidetracked by pie, Tom. It's, exactly. You know, oh, no, I shouldn't even have mentioned the pie. No, the, the, uh, something that, that this book is very keen on stressing. Um, I'm just going to read out a little passage from it, if I may. Which uh, There's some medieval music in the background yes. here to set the scene. Um, the medievalists were, were very keen to kind of systematise their thinking. Mm is the point that he makes, and to come up with, with complex things. So this is a, a dude called um, Alain de la Roche, who had founded a mystic order. And in order to obtain a system in which the numbers 15 and 10 enter, he adds the 11 celestial spheres and the four elements, and then multiplies the 10 categories, substance, quality, etc., to obtain 150 natural habits. In the same way, the multiplication of the Ten Commandments by 15 virtues gives 150 moral habits. Ah, oh, of course. <laughs> to arrive at the figure of 15 virtues, he counts, besides the three theological virtues and the four cardinal virtues, seven capital virtues, which makes 14. There remain two other virtues, religion and penitence. That makes 16, which is one too many. <laughs> <laughs> but as temperance of the cardinal series is identical with abstinence of the capital series, we finally obtain the number 15. Hey. Hurrah. Hurrah. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. And then we take away the number we first thought of? Uh, yes. Yeah. And yeah you're left with the trinity hooray no the and each of the each of the, the 15 virtues that he ended up with by the sleight of hand stands for an animal um one of the 15 perfections of the virgin uh, a precious stone a sin something you can drive away that represents a sin and so on so and, and the one thing you didn't win at the end yeah yeah, yeah it's it's all it's a special prize it's enormously 
complex. And, and I was looking at this, and it sort of reminded me of um, systems of, of modern thinking. Oh, that, such as? So, um, so, so you're, you're suggesting maybe history does repeat itself? Yes. Not just I'm, you I'm, and the propeller heads. I'm suggesting that this kind of... Um, urge to put things into lists and categories and, and, and such like. Uh, in, my, in my day job, which is as a market researcher, hence mm. my interest in rating scales and marketer, I, um, I come across uh, business books a great deal. Right. And they're all called things such as the, obviously, the seven habits of highly effective people, the 22 immutable laws of branding, mm. the three principles of great presentations, then there's another one which is only two principles of great presentations, and so on. So you get, a, a, and it, it struck me this is a similar way of thinking, a similar kind of uh, interest in sort of stratifying and, and, and putting things into codes and lists. No, I, I, so you, um, the the writer of your book sees this as a negative thing. Yes, he 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 says um, in another pack- uh, passage uh, this everlasting classification, this anatomy of sin. There's another like a huge thing in which loads of sins and follies and such like get <laughs> listed and subdivided. Yeah. Um, uh, is apt to weaken the consciousness of sin, which it should enhance. Ah, so, so basically, by thinking too much about numbers. lists and numbers and such like, you actually stop kind of coming to any conclusion about the about the thing i mean are there are there other groups of people who use lists a lot alex magnus <laughs> no that's it medieval times was a lot medieval times and, 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 and self-help um yeah well it makes me wonder what if you only had one great idea would you suddenly think well i've got to have a list and yeah so no, think exactly. two you'd, you'd be in real trouble yeah um <laughs> then the, actually the, the chinese communist party are another bunch who like them um Oh, they, and, were, they were big on lists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but there's been a steady shrinkage of, of principles in these lists. Like Mao had sort of eight or something in one of his. Um, and then Deng, Deng Xiaoping had the four, the four cardinal principles, as well as the four modernizations. All oh, right, so it still makes eight. Yeah, then... Eight, then being, eight, 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 of course, being the most lucky number in Chinese. Yes. Yeah. Then uh, Zhang Jimin had the three represents... <laughs> but um, yeah. represent exactly. east, east side, west side, and south side. <laughs> but but Tom, with a north side. Um, with, yeah, no, no, that was yeah, a, yeah. that was a commandment, really. With a north that's, side. That's yeah. Also, doesn't you know Russia has that bit with Siberia yeah. and such. What, what was the subdivision? You, you mentioned earlier that they seem to ha- generate these matrices of taking various various angles and, and kind of like dividing sometimes in the, the mental categories. Was it a sort of way of getting around the, and then flexibility about it? So once you'd thought up seven deadly sins and you suddenly thought, oh my god, there's an eighth one. Uh, you you couldn't crowbar it in later by just saying, oh, we it got was, that wrong. It was to give you something to talk about uh, at the weekend on a sermon. Yeah. And if you've got seven things, you're going to run out of things to talk about quite soon. Whereas if you've got 150 <laughs> sins, then it's like, yeah, bonanza. That's three <laughs> years' worth. It does make life a lot easier. About what I'm going to do. Um, also, of course, you could then run charts on a Sunday, which mm-hmm. the, the medievals, yeah. just as just as we enjoy <laughs> charts on a Sunday. So medieval sermons were basically a kind of ranking of sins. So they, <laughs> they, 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 they do, like, the, uh, the, the seven deadly sins, say, um, top ten. Yes. So, so, uh, top ten? Well, top ten, I guess, because they were... Seven, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Oh, got so you'd, you'd have coming in at number one, or coming in at number seven, down down from five, envy, yeah. then avarice, six. Do you think this would be by activity or by sinliness? As in, the most done? Oh, well, you, you, yeah, you'd kind of you, hits, you might it, announce really? you might announce the midweeks yeah. um, to your to your congregation and say, so, well, there's been a lot of lusting yeah. this week. So all the lusters would then go, okay, better not do that. Because obviously, you want to move down the charts of sins. You don't want to be at number one. Yeah, lust well, is lust is bubbling under. Well, seemingly you don't actually represent a particular sin. You've got aspects of all seven in them. Well, yes, but if, if the if the priest is going to go, you know, go big on the number one because that's the one you play, obviously <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the end. Then if, you, if you've been if you've been lusting and, and Lust is the number one sin, and he's going to be pointing the finger directly at you. Ah, uh, 
Because, because Alex, he wouldn't have said that in that way. I mean, if he was Southern English, he wouldn't have said lusting like that because of the great... We talked about this the other day, the great vowel shift. Indeed, the great vowel shift, where the vowel shifted in a dramatic style. So lust would have been... <laughs> did, they all, did they all shift cardinally along? So, so you, a, a became E, E became like, I, not, I... Like a sort of Osborne spy not, book. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly. But yes, that's the basic idea. Uh, the, it was the long vowels in Middle English. Right. It was the period when Middle English became modern, early modern English. So right. Chaucer to Shakespeare, basically. Right. And they changed <coughs> in terms of where they were articulated in the mouth. So, uh, I've... Yeah, give it, this give might it. be wrong, okay, so give it a go. linguists phone in and, you know, have a go. Uh, but some things like uh to e eh, to i to ah. And, um... So, so give, give us a, uh, uh, sorry, keep going. No, that, 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 was, that was it. I got to the top of my mouth. Oh, okay, right. It would have been you. diphthongs after that. Oh, you well, don't want to go diphthongs. No. So, so some, some, um, some words. Um, oh, let's God. say, so, um... um I can't actually remember, but things like um, it's quite difficult to kind of remember actual phonemes when you. Yeah, no. When you, I'm, I'm putting but it, you under pressure. It seems like uh, the word for clean nowadays in Shakespeare's time would have been more like clean. Right. And in Chaucer's time would be more like oh, I'm going to get this one clean. <laughs> and you were saying that place names often retain the original, so something like yeah, Greenwich. Greenwich yeah. um, is the old pronunciation. And the word green changed, but the word Greenwich didn't because it's a place name, and place names tend to sort of stay fairly similar. Mm. Um, so why, why did this happen? No one really knows. Tom, have you got any ideas why this might have happened? I've got an idea. Well, what's, what's your idea? Well, it's not my idea, but it's one I read in a book. Uh, there was a lot of migration after the Black Death right. towards ah, the southeast of England. The Bleak right. Death, as it was yes, called at the time. Yes, the Bleak Death. And... Um, <laughs> Lots of people moved there from the regions of England, or the regions of England. Ah. Uh, you mean eh? Eh. Sorry. <laughs> and, I did, um, yes. Uh, so that they would sort of understand each other better, they tended to sort of standardise the way they pronounce things, and so some spelling... St- standardise by making it completely different <laughs> <laughs> what it had been before. As a kind it, of I mean, it would be the same as it would be in, ang- in the angles, I guess, or something like that. Well, or? no, because before there were at least seven different regions of England oh, okay. with quite different dialects. So and, it's kind of a great um, vowel confirmation. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, so they sort of shifted into something fairly standard. But interesting, language, the not language, written language was kind of codified around that time. So we That's get a lot of spellings which um, represent pre-Great Vowel Shift. Ah, right, so that's why foreigners why hate us. Yeah, yeah, basically. Well, I, I like that theory, but I, I have another theory, <laughs> which um, basically boils down to, um, since religion was the most important thing there, um, pre-Vowel Shift and... and, and Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Jesus Christ pre pre vowel shift would be Jesus crust. Yeah, it would and be I can see like that. I can see why they might want to change that. It's unfortunate. I tell you what, we'll go to a record. If you like the way I look, 
Then step inside my shade and look And you'll find mangoes and papayas Anything your heart desires Mangoes, papaya, chestnuts from the fire The food is so good you will want to stay Listen to Friday night is music night on Radio Two. No, sorry, that's um, that. This is um, Residence FM one hundred four point four, and you listen to Freaky Trigger and a lot of top pop, and it's just gone three o'clock. Um, Magnus, what was that? That was Rosemary Clooney singing Magos. Well, I wrote it down as Magos. Yes, it's Mangos. Um, Alex, that was your song. Yeah, it's the best song in the world. It's good. It's filthy. No, it's all about fruit. Okay, and Looks. some. <laughs> I somewhat. What would have been, I guess, back in the fifties to a UK audience. Um, a relatively exotic fruit. Yes, it would have been. Um, they didn't have fruit. Was it, was it a, a hit in the UK? You know? <laughs> I've no idea. Oh, okay. What, the food or the song? The food wouldn't have been. No, well, <laughs> well it, it might have been. They it's didn't a, even have bananas. I mean, you, you, you have an extensive collection of um, uh, old cookbooks, let's say. I was about yeah. to say pre-war cookbooks, but actually the, f- the 30s is probably about as far back as yours go. Yeah, I've got nothing... I've got nothing really pre-30s, but I've got a collection of recipes that were from before the 30s, like from the 14th century to the 20th, but it's it's not sort of authentic. It's a reporting of recipes. Huh. What, does, what does history teach us about the, um, about the history of res- uh, recipes? Well, lots of exciting things. Um, there's... Well, in terms of the food that people ate, mm. it, obviously, people have eaten different foods throughout history. Orchestras. Yes, orchestras. So, kind of, um, if we kind of go back, right back to the sort of start of eating. No, that, that's not quite right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the dawn of consumption. Yeah. I like that's that. Right. That's good. Dawn of consumption, yes. Um, obviously, people had uh, more farming more wild food more kind of a lot more regional variations so yeah. recipes from back then you get kind of quite specific things like one called kent lent pie which is a, a pie a sweet pie eaten around i think lent in kent <laughs> <laughs> it might have just be called that because it all rhymes not before the great vowel shift ah yeah well, no, but it, it still would have rhymed we are not going to talk about the kent lent pie pre vowel shift yes <laughs> good point alex um, well done <laughs> So you get much more... I mean, recently, I think, in cookery, we've kind of 
uh, there's a bit of a trend towards you know using the whole animal mm. foraging mm. more sort of frugal use you know we kind of getting back into offal i think a lot more recently but it's awfully nice it is awfully actually no i don't like it oh i'm, I'm a big i'm a big fan um but that's i think that's quite a sort of recent revival yeah obviously previously in say you know pre-20th century that was quite common to you know it was it was just sort of assumed that you would be using these things and cooking with them so you, if you look at recipes from back then they are they're they're quite basic mm. they're they're sort of things like get your pig roast it <laughs> eat, eat it all eat it all yeah. eat ye all um <laughs> i mean this is a lot about a lot about technology as well isn't it because obviously there's mm. less ways of keeping things but also less ways of cooking things now, so no back back no. then of course so if you if you're looking at um uh you know if you've only got an open fire to cook on you can only do certain kinds of cookery yeah it does restrict you and so you get a lot of quite sort of straightforward things that you have to put on a spit yeah and yeah roast. and it means that the recipes themselves the layout is quite different to modern recipes modern <laughs> recipes are quite uh well they're they're quite sort of easily broken up lists it's one action per step of the list there's mm. lots of you know in terms of presentation there's lots of white space and you know so that wasn't the case way back when no it was all sort of handwritten and confusing and um but even more recently uh, sort of recipe books from the 50s and the 40s you get your list of um ingredients as one single line sort of mm. broken up by dashes which is just quite That's confusing it. and then your actual recipe is just one paragraph with loads of different steps in it and it's it's interesting to sort of look at the way that uh, the sort of assumption of skill for the cook or the reader has changed. Right. Older recipes, it, it's really a huge assumption that you know what you're doing. It's like put in twelve larks into this pie. Right. There's a pie called a 14th century pie, and it's got quail and lark and mm. partridges, and it's just it doesn't say you like, know um, prepare, prepare these them, and yeah. do all sorts of things. But it's just put them in it might be saying put them in <laughs> it might, <laughs> that might be it i mean yeah. it's because we were talking about lists with with tom um and uh, uh, is it potentially that recipes on the whole were written by women um and there is i mean there is the suggestion about the mayfield male female brain split that men are it's a suggestion mainly that comes from nick hornby if I, as far as i can see so not one that i'd never necessarily stick by but that lists are a male thing a, a male obsession whereas they aren't so much for women so yeah, well, I mean, I mean, if you look at people who have written recipe books, previously, like Hannah Glass and Mrs. Beaton, they were women. And That's true. I, I'm not very familiar with Mrs. Beaton, but I think they didn't tend towards the list. No, tend to be I don't know whether that was yeah. to do with the time, though, maybe. that More recently, we sort of appreciate that cookery is for everyone, and recipes now are... They're meant to be quite sort of accessible. It's about demystifying the cookery process, it's, so it's all broken up quite nicely. It's it's also that um, if you if you've got like because of the, the availability of food, you don't have to keep stocks in. So mm. if you're if you're following just a kind of paragraph and it gets to a thing saying, "Oh, now put in the saffron," oh, and yeah, you, you, don't, you know you just go to your cupboard and get the saffron because you've got it. Because you 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 know you do sort of one Titanic shop every six months and then <laughs> salt it all or whatever. Um, whereas now it's like oh. No, help! I haven't got that. Yeah. And but, you know, meat pie. Ah, oh, all I bought was the meat, and I didn't even buy that. And I've just got an egg. Well, Whereas uh, a, a recipe list will will yeah, tell you. So it's a shopping list, isn't it? Yeah. It is a shopping list. Yeah. So I think if you if you were to read a modern recipe book and it didn't have a clear list of in, of ingredients at the start of it, you'd think, what's going on here? And I, I've I've read sort of older recipe books where 
you do get something halfway through and you're like, but what? And it hasn't listed it in the actual ingredients. Yeah. It's just thought, oh, they'll be able to have that. Is that though a function of, um, of literally the notation style? Because there'd be, you couldn't edit what you were writing halfway through and it's probably a bit more expensive to get hold of you know, the parchment and tools and that sort of thing. So have you found that mm. you were, you'd missed out a stage or something and you didn't bother to go back and correct it? And yeah. It strikes me there was, probably still a, there was probably still a typesetting stage, even back then, <laughs> you know, a bit of proofreading. But no, I mean, I can say, and I think also, is it because... We kind of look at them. We like we look at recipes now more like a, a science, you know, like like a, yeah. a science experiment. That we if we if we don't have exactly the right recipe uh, ingredients in exactly the right proportions and done in exactly the right way, it will not work. It's yeah. It, it's it's kind of it's it's what um, the the medieval guy was complaining about that they're focusing on the process rather than on the on the sin itself on the actual <laughs> kind of consequence or whatever. And it's the same with this. You're focusing on the process and this kind of perfect object rather than the actual object, which is to create something tasty. And if you've ended up, you know. Okay, I don't have any saffron, so but I do have this other herb, and I've maybe turmeric. That is, is, yeah, yeah. is what I'm trying to do: make it go yellow, or is what I'm trying to do is imbue the taste of saffron. Yeah, and yeah, and and if I don't have it, then maybe this will work just as well. So it, it, it lists discourage improvisation in recipes. I th- yeah, I think more modern recipes do tend to have lots of suggestions for what you can substitute if you don't have things. It assumes that the the cook is not necessarily going to know exactly what they're doing. They might need a bit more guidance. Whereas the older ones, they assume that the cook knows exactly what they're doing, and it has, you know, you'll get a recipe with instructions where it says things like "trust as usual." Have you got have you got a couple of example recipes there that you'd, you'd like to share with us? Because I think oh, there's yeah. cause you've got so many there. That I mean, would you like to pick a kind of period that you'd like me to go for? Uh, I, you know, Ish? if you've got a post something post warish um, or sort of early fi- late fifties, early sixties to go with Rosemary Clooney. Yeah, have I mean, you got a mango recipe? Well, actually, my book from the 50s is a good housekeeping cookbook, and it's, it's more than just cookery. It's, yeah. it's, it's housekeeping, too. And, um, well, you get lots of, uh, sort of... It's when foreign dishes started sort of becoming... You, you sort of see them in recipe books more. So you get things like fish curry or vegetable curry, but then you look at it, and it's the curry like aspect curry. is curry powder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... It still should be. Yeah. You know, well, it's, curry yeah. powder is just a mix of spices, but it might be pre-mixed. It's... Okay. Yeah, right. but you know, you wouldn't accept a recipe for curry nowadays that just said shove some curry powder in it. You'd want Madder some, Jeffrey's quite keen on it. You'd want some exotic herbs. And I guess. Spices. I guess. No, you're right. I mean, that's the that's the thing. You, what we expect now is is a kind kind of a, the list, but also a bit of narrative, maybe. Yeah. The idea that you know, there's there's it's. Are people buying recipe books these days to make the make the food, or are they doing it as a lifestyle thing? Well, is it's it a, aspirational, it's isn't aspirational. it? And if you look at the pictures, the way that pictures have changed in recipe books, they started off as being very instructional, mm. like, here is the best way to pipe this hideous icing onto your cake. Yeah, in many ways, quite horrible to look at. Yeah, so I've seen some of your... Yes, yes, you've seen some of mine, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas now it's, you know, a close-up shot of some beautiful noodles with some lemongrass sort of scattered on it. But, but surely in 30 years' time, the... the remainder of the human race will look at those pictures of beautiful noodles and be angered and horrified <laughs> by them. Absolutely. I um, hope so. I mean, you, you, you've, you've, you've been actually trying out these old recipes. A couple. not so. I've been trying out the really easy ones. I've, I've yeah. not tried to roast anything on an open fire yet. So, which, which, not even a chestnut? Uh, she hasn't got an open fire. Yeah, it's the open fire business. Oh, yeah, not the thing. I think I think the oldest one I made was something called a Cheshire pork pie. And if I just look at what the recipe was, it was it sounded delicious, but it came out disgusting. Actually, I can't find the recipe. Um, but it was it wasn't like a standard pork pie. It was kind of a hot no, pork pie. No, it was a puff pastry with um, long pig. Uh, is that the problem? Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> I have not eaten long pig. Jesus Christ, as the long pigs would sing, but. 
sorry. Um, uh, so yeah. you've got you, but you, you, you've done this, and you, you write these up on a website. I do, I do. Um, Which is so people can read it. it that's that's it what I'm is. trying to do here. I'm trying to drive hits to your site. I know. I can't remember. The, How would you search for it on Google? Vintage cookbook trials. Vint- I think it's www.vintagecookbooktrials.wordpress.com. I think very but. possibly. Okay, great. Have you got any recipes for um, for candied pill? No. Ah. Have you? No, but it was kind of a link into the next track, which is a track from um, the uh, Leonard Bernstein musical Candied, which is a bit like Candied. Yeah, so I know, I've got a recipe for brain cakes. But okay, well, <laughs> well, we'll listen to this then. Um, there's a little bit of an intro um, from the musical itself to set the scene. Just goes to prove that everything's for the best in this best of all possible worlds, of which, if I may say so, West Bailey is the centre. Look at this view, mountains and towers, green meadows too, bursting with flowers. This is the heart of this best of all possible worlds, quite the best part of this best of all possible worlds. This is the heart of this best of all possible worlds, quite the best part of this best of all possible worlds. Our men are lean, handsome and active. Where have you seen girls more attractive? None has more grace in this best of all possible worlds. No finer race in this best of all possible worlds. No finer race in this best of all possible worlds. No better place in this best of all possible worlds. But best of all, we now convene with keen anticipation to watch a happy wedding scene and have a celebration. A happy celebration. All hail the groom and bride of whom our hearts could not be fonder. The love that reigns in heaven above is mirrored in the marriage of Candide and Cunegonde. Candide and Cunegonde. Wherefore and hence, therefore and ergo. Wherefore and hence, therefore and ergo. All for the best in this best of all possible worlds. All for the best in this best of all possible worlds. Any questions? Ask without fear, I have all the answers here. Dear Master, I am sure you're right that married life is splendid. But why do married people fight? I cannot comprehend it. She cannot comprehend it. The private strife of man and wife is useful to the nation. It is a harmless outlet for emotions that could lead to war or social agitation. A brilliant explanation. Wherefore it's true, no man may doubt it. Therefore it's true, no doubt about it. Marriage is blessed in this best of all possible worlds. Also the best in this best of all possible worlds. Next question, deep though it be, there's none too deep for me. Since marriage is divine, of course we cannot understand, sir, why there should be so much divorce. Do let us know the answer. Do let us know the answer. Why marriage, boy, is such a joy, so lovely a condition, that many ask no better than to wed as often as they can in happy repetition. A brilliant exposition. Wherefore and hence, therefore and ergo. Wherefore and hence, therefore and ergo. This best of all possible worlds Also the best in This best of all possible worlds A brilliant exposition 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 In this best of all possible Possible, possible
That was Tom. Uh, that was Dr. Pangloss singing, I would imagine. <laughs> it is indeed. Dr. Pangloss um, <laughs> singing from the Leonard Bernstein um, operetta, I believe they call it, it's a musical, basically, <laughs> of uh, Candide, which was 1952, I think, or 54. Six. 56, Christ. <laughs> um, Magnus, um, tell us a little bit about that, and then I'll have some questions for the cast. Uh, well, I, it's a musical based on Voltaire, a book by Voltaire of the same name, which was published in um, uh, 1750-something, and it was called Or Optimism. And some people take away from it the, the thought, having, having watched the musical, I had one conclusion, and it wasn't the general conclusion, which is that an irrational optimism is a way of excusing away a kind of human's resistance to the terrible things that fate throw at you. I took away from it that the funniest thing that can happen to a man is to meet a woman with one hip. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, let's be fair, it's not so much a woman with one hip, because I believe one of her um, buttocks has been sawn off to feed some men. Uh, oh. That's what happens in the book. Um, <laughs> now, Tom, How do you, you even do that? I, I, well, we, uh, I mean, I, have no, you got a saw? Okay, you don't need if to anyone's go. got a saw, a, a cutting saw, rather. If anyone's got a saw, I've got a butter. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> that's that's where I was big? going with that. The, the, is, is that why? It's difficult to say, because obviously <laughs> she had a false one implanted in the show, and on oh, the, okay. in the book. Now you've, why, you've, why, didn't they, why didn't they saw off a bit of both? <laughs> <laughs> so she had an even rear? Yeah. I think I think mine. <laughs> I've got a feeling actually from what I remember she's on a boat um and they saw off part of her buttock to feed um the other members of the crew. Remember this this conversation is is absolutely fine because it's part of great literature. Yes. Um and mm. so they saw off because rather than having two cuts one cut is better. Both I think they and maybe they were trying to do that but the first cut is the deepest Tom. Oh, so yeah. that, that that may well do it. Now you've you've read it. You've read the book. I, yes, I've, re I've read it in the original. Oh right. Uh, okay. I, Am I assuming yeah. therefore you didn't really take much in? No, you did it in school. I was told to read it in the original. Right. Would be a truer statement of my relationship with Condide. Um, Magnus, you've, you've have you read it or have you only seen the musical? I've seen the musical, which I think is enough for him. It is a terrific musical. Um, it's my mother's favourite musical. Mm -hmm. uh, Alex, um, your your your. An idiot, I have not read it. Okay. Or right. seen it or heard it, apart from that song just now, which was jolly jaunty. It is, it is good, but of course it does give us um, the phrase Panglossian. Uh, Max, can you explain? Uh, well, Candide, who's the um, protagonist, he was... Somewhat naive protagonist. He, 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 he was say. naive. The, the point is that he stays naive throughout the entire show, um, not realising that terrible things are happening to him. Instead, he listens to his tutor, <coughs> excuse me, who is Dr Pangloss, and Dr Pangloss has... Which, which means all tongue. <laughs> I remember that from the... <laughs> Sorry. Dr All Tongue, because that means he talks a lot. That's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he, he was just bonkers, really. He took the, uh, the best possible interpretation of anything that might be happening and claimed that... However bad it looks, in fact, it was for the best. Sounds completely Christmas. <laughs> well, and the, the the idea is basically is to partially parody um, Leibniz's philosophy, and there's there's a number of other um, characters who turn up in the book, and indeed the musical singing their philosophy. So um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting set of <laughs> stuff. But that's not actually what you're here to talk about, Magnus. You, you, you've you got a selection of um, medieval and, and later superstitions. Uh, um, yes, I have. Well, I mean, one, one of the, the aspects of superstitions is, of course, we don't know who the authors are. The, the best we can do is say which country and which era they come from. Right. But the, um, the, the thing that got me onto thinking about this is that uh, today I cut my nails. And I cut my nails because it is Saturday. And I cut my nails on a Saturday regularly. It's one of the things I do on Saturday. Right. And the, the reason I do this is I once heard that it was bad luck to cut your nails on and then it was a day. You and I couldn't remember which day it was, but I knew it wasn't Saturday. Right. You big mental. Well, exactly. And I yeah. did that as a child. This, this established my pattern. And then I thought, actually, well, what day was it? What was the unlucky day? So I had a look on the internet and to determine 
which day was was the the unlucky day to um uh to cut your nails now i'm gonna guess wednesday well, well, there, there you'd be wrong, because Wednesday, if you cut your nails on Wednesday, you get news. Or you get wealth, or or you might get health. Okay, so yeah, so what happens if you cut your nails on a Monday? <laughs> on a Monday, you either get wealth, news, or good luck. What I've actually done, and um, uh, we, Freaky Trigger has, uh, has long been an innovator in uh, visual media on the radio. I've actually dr- put up a, drawn up a table of the all various things you could possibly get. Yeah, because there are different countries and also just different sources come up with different results in the days of the week. So in the UK or in, in, in West in, Europe? Or? In England, the, the, the three, three or four things that might happen to you during the week are you get health, news, wealth, or shoes. They all rhyme, don't they? They, they do rhyme. But the, They're um, all right. <laughs> OK, yes, yes. As but wealth and health... Rhyme. Wealth and health rhyme. They used to rhyme. News and shoes rhyme. And yes, pre, pre-vowel shift, but they the, did as well, yeah. But the problem is that there's no consistency with them. So if you did want to influence your shoe purchasing schedule by cutting your, your nails on a particular day, you don't really get a lot of guidance from this. But what it did say, rather worryingly, is that cutting your nails on Saturday, according to one of them, will bring you woe. Oh dear! So, and I was saying, my God, this is awful. You know, I've been cutting my nails on Saturday for ages and ages. Now, Magnus, you, you you have a full time job, and yes. um, <laughs> so I'm guessing that you generally buy your shoes on your day off, so a Saturday. Uh, yes, that's right. Ah, and you, you cut your nails on a Saturday. That's right. So <laughs> there you go. But what I thought was was well, this this suggests to me that that superstition might in fact be bunkum. Well, it's funny you should say that, because I've got a feeling... I mean, Alex, are you particularly super, super, super stupid? Sorry, superstitious? <laughs> I'm both. Um, yeah, no, no, it, it is nonsense, but... Do I, you have any? I, I mean, have a problem with magpies. I do have to uh, make a cross on the ground with my foot if I see a magpie and say hello to it under my breath. Ah, uh, hello, Mr. Magpie. I just can't go, all right. OK, all right, OK, fair enough. Would, would yo be... <laughs> Yeah, I kind of give them a high five. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, have you, have you got any p- particular um, superstitions that um, that rule your life in a no, way that? Not really. Um, I no. I think Can they're you foolish. Make some up? Yeah, uh, yeah. I always scratch my ass. On <laughs> <Tuesday>. <laughs> I, I, Sorry, I, I, I remember. I remember you. Um, I remember you were never, never a big fan of opening bills. But is no, that that's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's rational. There's rational reasons for that, which is that inside the bill envelope is a bill. Okay, but, but of course that's 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 what a lot a lot of superstitions start as rational things, which then become superstitions because what you remember is the act rather than the reason for the act. Well, they become yeah, very absolutely. far away from. I, I do find myself crossing my fingers, on occasion. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have a I have a solution. I've decided to to all the superstitious thought, and that is, I thought, well, if if I've been cured of my cutting nails on Saturday due to just the the there no be, there being no rationality to it and it being proven, and that was due to there being a surplus of superstitions about cutting your nails, I decided, well, the way I, we can cure everyone of all superstitions is if we just have an unlimited number of superstitions. So I wrote a computer program which would invent superstitions. Okay. And I got it to print off a thousand superstitions, and I also got from the internet a thousand actual superstitions right. which people actually believe in. Okay. Did you do this on a Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did this at work. <laughs> no, 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 and I wonder if you can tell the difference. Okay. So, so far um, away. Uh, uh, Alex. Hello. Putting a dress on inside out is good luck. No, that's bad luck. You look silly. <laughs> uh, do you think that's a genuine superstition? No. It is a genuine yeah. superstition. I would have thought it was genuine, yeah. What? What, on purpose? But it's also, stu- but it's also stupid. But why would you put a dress on inside out? Well, absolutely. Because you're stupid. Rather than, rather than trusting people to, the, to not to put a dress on. To the stupid, maybe all day brings good luck. 
Yeah, true. <laughs> Another one, Magnus. Uh, sitting on a stone when sneezing means good fortune. You made that one up. Uh, yeah. The computer made that one up. Okay. Okay. Uh, Tom, uh, stroking three men's beards means good luck. <laughs> it depends who you are. Yes. <laughs> if the beard stroker is a foxy wench. <laughs> Bad luck for her. Yes. <laughs> if it's back, back in the medieval days. I think that's true. Uh, that was made up by my computer. Oh, program. well done, your computer. There you go. Um, uh, this one's a good one. Making a paper aeroplane out of your marriage licence will be an argument to your homestead. Mm. Well, <laughs> lots of it sounds like it could be quite modern, but I reckon <laughs> it's probably a true one. Uh, no, that was made up by okay, my computer right. program as well. What, what is the most modern superstition? Yeah. Uh, there was one about the internet which I found. Excellent. It was, Excellent. It was Excellent. doing something. It was, it was something like d- putting some particular thing in your um, uh, a, a metadata thing will cause an internet outage for <laughs> you well that's that's, that's, a, that's a snappy one that's one that's one for the ages yeah exactly they'll be passing that one on yeah, yeah. No, I, I can say, yeah they, they... don't tag wrong people oh. yeah pressing the back button just after you've submitted the credit card detail may be a bad idea <laughs> you, using your credit card pin number as a password yes you know oh, is that bad, oh, is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> Only the old wives think so. Oh, dear. So you, your, your conclusion, um, because we're, we're going to wind up very soon, and your okay. conclusion vis-a-vis superstitions, Magnus, is that they are... That, that I, I'd recommend that you discard all superstitions. There is one superstition which I read on the internet which I do agree with, which is if you believe in a superstition, it will follow you through your life. Mm. Well, yeah, because you're believing it. Uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's very, very true. Um, so... I think we, we, we're coming to the end of the show, and I, you know, we've talked a lot about history, and we've talked about you know, real stuff, and, and I still am not convinced that history can teach me anything apart from about itself. Isn't that enough? Yeah, what more do you want? Yeah. I, I, want, I, want, I want a path through life. I want something to tell me what to do. Ah, um, you need a is. boss. The future. <laughs> Uh, just remember... That <laughs> so, no, the, the, what will the future do? The children That's are not history, future. that's the future. Yeah. That's oh, the okay. opposite of history. <laughs> oh, right, so history will just tell us about itself. Future history, you want Isaac Asimov, you want, you want the Slug of Time show, mate. Oh, sorry, wrong show. <laughs> I've well, heard that's very good. Yeah, but, it's not, <laughs> but can, we're not it. You can it. get that we're, on freakytrigger.co.uk. Yes, you can as well. Yeah, you, can, you can get all the archives of all the previous um, Freaky Trigger and Lollipop Pop shows um, on freakytrigger.co.uk. You can get also the archives of... Um, a Slug of Time and Bite Stars and Thou, which is a science fiction show done by the same team. And, um, and that's all history. And this show is now history too. Um, we're going to wind up now. I'm trying to decide which song to go with. I mean, I, I had three or four songs lined up. Any, any preferences? Not, not Gracie Fields. Please. Not the Gracie, yeah. We did have a couple of versions of um, Nagasaki. Um, Flanders and Swan? No, but I have got Noel Coward. And I think uh, Noel Cowards don't let's oh, be yes. basically to the Germans. Um, an interesting song because, again, from a historical point of view, it's written in about 1941. When I first heard it, I thought it would be like 1947. It's like let's all let's all make up. Let's but now not be beastly to the Germans. Yes, but but it's but it's also a very early one, which um, which make, demarks the difference between um, the Germans and the Nazis very early on. Doesn't see them as the same thing. No. Um, so yeah, so um, thank you for listening. Um, it's 3:30. It's Resonance. F- well, it's nearly 3:30. It's Resonance FM 104.4. Um, I back don't next know. week? Back next week, yes. We back, don't, uh, back, back. Uh, yes. Elisha Sessions will be here with a team um, this time next week. And in the meantime, I think Noel Calder's right. Don't let's be beastly to the Germans. Don't let's be beastly to the Germans When our victory is ultimately won it was just those nasty Nazis who persuaded them to fight. And their Beethoven and Bach are really far worse than their bite. 
Let's be meek to them and turn the other cheek to them and try to bring out their latent sense of fun. Let's give them full air parity and treat the rats with charity, but don't let's be beastly to the hun. We must be kind and with an open mind, we must endeavor to find a way to let the Germans know that when the war is over, they are not the ones who have to pay. We must be sweet and tactful and discreet and when they've suffered defeat we mustn't let them feel upset or ever get the feeling that we're cross with them or hate them our future policy must be to reinstate them don't let's be beastly to the germans when we've definitely got them on the run let us treat them very kindly as we would a valued friend we might send them out some bishops as a form of lease and lend let's be sweet to them and day by day repeat to them that sterilization simply isn't done. Let's help the dirty swine again to occupy the Rhine again, but don't let's be beastly to the Hun. We must be just and win their love and trust, and in addition we must be wise and ask the conquered lands to join our hands and to aid them. That would be a wonderful surprise. For many years, they've been in floods of tears because the poor little dears have been so wronged and only longed to cheat the world, deplete the world and beat the world to blazes. This is the moment when we ought to sing their praises. Don't let's be beastly to the Germans for you can't deprive a gangster of his gun. Though they've been a little naughty to the Czechs and Poles and Dutch, I don't suppose those countries really minded very much. Let's be free with them and share the BBC with them. We mustn't prevent them basking in the sun. Let's soften their defeat again and build their blasted fleet again. But don't let's be beastly to the hunt.